time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. We have a lot going on in the area of developments with the mortgage industry. Changes are coming, and we've invited back Barrett Burns, President and CEO of Vantage Score Solutions. Barrett was on and a guest of ours on May 6th, and we just really started getting into talking about Vantage Score. We got to know Barrett a little bit, found out that he's a 25-year veteran. He's a longer veteran than that than the mortgage industry, but he's been with the big brands for 25 years, places like City and Ford. And But he was having lunch with a scoring consultant back in March of 2006, and the guy mentioned about how the three bureaus back then were starting a new scoring company, and Barrett went back to the office, and the phone rang. Interestingly, and someone says, "Hey, do you know anything about you know this Vantage score?" He says, "How interesting! I just had lunch with a guy. Who told me about it." And so the short of the story is, they he interviewed for the job. They said he's perfect for the company, and they hired him. So Vantage score has been led by Barrett Burns for all this time, and I'm really excited to get into it. And here's the reason why it's so important. I've been getting all these phone calls from these consultant. Well, I'm part of GLG. It's called Gerson Learman Consultant and Group, as well as other scores, and they're all calling and saying, Dave, are you aware of some of the latest statistics on how Vantage Score is growing up? And, and I go, I see Barrett at the conferences, but I was unaware of how the statistics are picking up. So when I heard that, I said, we got to get Barrett back on. So I want you to go listen to the May 6th podcast. In there, we talked a little bit about how consumer credit is changing and the need for the bureaus to adjust, so they formed this new entity. And one of the things that's most interesting, well, let's let's just get into it with Barrett right away, and I've got a few things I want to cover with you, Barrett, right out of the gate. But Barrett, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Oh, thanks for the invitation. And when are we going to have barbecue? That sounds great. <laughs> that is good. Oh, I'd love to share it. And Andy and I have found a real, really good barbecue spot right here close to where we both live. Yeah, when you were on this last time, back in May, we talked about how the three credit bureaus put three people from each company in a room. You said in that podcast, you t- they were told, don't come out until you have a new model that is more consistent across all the bureaus, that positively scores more consumers, that's underscoring it, and more accurately scores them. And in that, I asked, I pressed into, what do you mean by more accurate? You says, it doesn't let consumers overbower. It doesn't let lenders overlend. So I really got interested in that. And we started talking about the two primary groups that are going to be impacted in this. And it was millennials and Latinos, because Vanderscore looks back over 24 months, whereas FICO looks back over six months. The common denominator that's between millennials and Latinos is they don't use credit all the time. So the longer look back that Vanderscore does gives them an advantage, and it could open up credit for as many as, if I have the notes right, 40 to 45 million more consumers can be into it, of which 10 million are going to be coming into the housing market here soon. So a lot of information. Go back to the podcast. Did I get any of my notes wrong from listening on my flight back last night from being gone? Is that pretty accurate, or you want to amend that? Uh, no, just add Latinos to uh, to the group that uh, borrows in frequently and often cannot get a conventional score. So Latinos, Amer- African-Americans, and millennials. 
Okay, good. So you would. What's really interesting is that as the younger generation comes into there, it is one of the common denominators for whether the millennial, Latino, or Black. It sounds like is they're becoming more infrequent, or they are infrequent users of credit. And yeah. that's one of the advantages. So let's really start there. And then I want to get into why has there been such an interest in Vandiscore? So talk a little bit more about the demographics and expand on that if you could, Barrett. Well, I should say that in 2013, we rebuilt the model because uh, new data was becoming available and new mathematical techniques were proving to be uh, highly accurate. So we, we rebuilt the model in 2013, and that's when our adoption really took off to this past year's 12.3 billion scores with a pretty heavy concentration in uh, in credit card uh, because in the, in the last model, uh, Value Score 4.0, we included trended data, which uh, gives a snapshot of uh, when somebody's starting to either improve their credit score or their credit behaviors, resulting in a better score, or they're going the other way. And so a lender can see a trend versus a snapshot point in time. So that, And then we use machine learning uh, on the thin file consumers, which gave us about oh, 18,000 additional attributes to score. So uh, wow, the predictiveness increased, yeah, and which, you know, machine learning has been around for a long time, but uh, didn't have the computing, you know, firepower to really make it work until recently. So those are two additions, turned to data and machine learning that we added to the 4.0 uh, that really gave us a ton of lift, both in terms of predictive characteristics and scoring more people. So that's attractive to high-volume lenders, either marketplace lenders or credit card lenders. They can detect a, a trend very quickly on, you know, should they offer somebody more credit or not. And so the demographics are really playing into that. The housing sector, uh, I'm sure you've seen all the statistics about how the uh, average borrower is going to change the people of color rather dramatically over the next 10 years. And um, yes. so the, the, the lending systems just need to you know, be more reflective without without adding risk to the system, but be more reflective of uh, who the average borrower is be rapidly becoming. One of the things that's most interesting about the statistics that I heard from these investment bankers that were calling me and asking me for my thoughts about this, how I saw this affecting, uh, was the fact that the thin files and how it is going to change or it is changing things, that the fact that these groups of millennials are infrequent users or like my oldest daughter who just doesn't use credit much. And she is struggling a little bit. I mean, she got a great credit score, but because she doesn't have much and the, of the right makeup, she's feeling a little bit on the outside looking in. Whereas our youngest daughter studied it, and she got in on it early and is getting lots of things that hopefully won't get her in trouble. But anyway, talk a little bit about that. And then, by the way, I want to put Alice, Joe, Andy, and Alan on notice. We're going to get around to them right after this. But it's it's really fascinating to me. Barrett, how the 10 million new consumers, but we have the problem with agencies. So talk about thin file and then what's the status with agencies? Then we'll get over to Alice. Yeah, so the 10 million, uh, about 2.4 of those 10 million, we, 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 so, so we scored 10 million more people to 620 and above, and 2.4 million of those are African Americans and Latinos, again, because they borrow differently. We also did a major study on, so how do thin file consumers perform? And lo and behold, 
uh, on a large database, we found that that uh, consumers with thin files uh, perform almost identically to consumers that have thick files. And you know, hmm. years ago when we were in the consumer lending businesses, we said, well, anybody that doesn't have three credit trades, you know, must not be good credit. That's just the way it was back then, and uh, that kind of just prevailed. I mean, I remember that as being you know, around consumer lending for so many years. Yeah, three trades sounds right. Let's go with that. And then a number of lenders like Freddie do have a restriction on uh, less than three credit trades. Well, we're mm-hmm. proving that that's not the case anymore, that people with less than three trades can be highly predictive and therefore have more access to mainstream credit. Well, now, that has changing a little bit with Freddie, is it not? Hasn't there been some movement there of the three, of, or being of the two primary GSEs? Uh, there may be. I haven't heard of it lately, but yeah, you, uh, it may, may be, and I hope it would be, because they're probably finding the same thing that you can rely on, and, and along with the other, yeah, and along with the other underwriting criteria, not just not relying on on the score alone. So, Alice, as you listen to this and help guide where Union Home is going, what are your thoughts? I've been following this all along, Barrett. So, uh, this is great to see that this is now something that the industry will have access to. But that's really probably our next big hurdle, right, is how do we get that the agencies actually do adopt it? Don't they have to go through a study process? And I'd I'd love your insight into when you think we'll actually be able to have the score be more mainstream. So you're referring to the rule that conforms with the law, and we're very happy about that. So model developers will be able to apply next year by April. And the agencies are, or the FHFA and the agencies are putting together their application process now. Uh, they're supposed to finish that by the end of December. And the way uh, Mark Calabria is working, you know, he's very structured, very process oriented. That that's that's what they said they were going to do, and that's what I'm sure they're going to do, is have that application process ready by the end of December. Then the way the rule goes is uh, applications have to be put in by April. And then there's there's a 12 to 24 month business assessment and model assessment period, and we're fine with that. The reason we are is after all, it's the biggest asset class in the world, and they need to get it right. So we're we're fine with that long assessment process. Got to get it done right. So and FICO has to reapply too or apply. So it puts all of us on an equal footing. So uh, that will be the rollout uh, of it now. We are doing pilots with lenders to get them kind of first, you know, first adopters and, and get them ready. So, the, uh, so there's there's nothing that we there's nothing precluding a pilot. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, you know, a lot of people got hurt during the Great Recession. So over the last ten years or so, and and you know, you mentioned so many people going have a thin file. Can can somebody that's been in trouble with a prior mortgage or you know, uh, been through a foreclosure even? Recover using uh, thin file credit. Yes. So uh, we also did a study on that. Uh, the question being, particularly from credit counselors, how fast can somebody get back up to a prime credit score, you know, assuming no bankruptcy, but even with a foreclosure, and it can take anywhere a minimum of nine months to a year and a half to get back to a prime score, even with thin files, because the the value of that data slowly expires over time. Now, while that foreclosure may still be on the uh, credit report for up to you know seven years, 
that, that the, the the predictiveness of that da- of that of that data expires slowly over that time period because we want to score the most recent behaviors. So, assuming even if somebody gets modifications, which then improves the credit score because now they're current, and, and we say to credit counselors, teach people how to improve their score because they can get back to, to a uh, a prime score. You know, assuming they've got the job back or, or employed and so forth, and don't let them lose hope. So, yes, yeah. they can get back within nine months to a year and a half. Andy Shell, the profit doctor, he touched on some of the difficulties of implementing this or change generally. Well, hey, Barrett, thanks for joining. Well, I'm going to ask a question, and hopefully it's down the fairway. So Joe <laughs> and I both in particular have been in the realm of capital markets for a long time and back into the 80s. And one of the things that you, you measure is performance of portfolio, and that leads to mortgage-backed security behavior and uh, the PSA, Public Securities Association, measures prepayment speeds, and part of the prepayment speed is driven by default characteristics. And so we've got decades and decades and decades of portfolio performance metrics driven from mostly FICO, at least in the last 15 years. So how will the new Vantage score affect mortgage-backed security performance when we don't have the decades of performance data to demonstrate the reliability of the default performance? Is that is that an okay question? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so FICO will be applying probably with either FICO, uh, FICO 08 or 09, uh, because as you may know, the the models that they use for mortgage acceptance are models that were built on data before the recession. So some of that data that was used in model development of what we call FICO 4, or some people call it classic FICO, is 20 years old. And FICO has been on stage with us saying they would prefer that those models be replaced. So the securities industry is going to face the same thing uh, with either FICO or us. But we can... uh, Prepayment modeling organizations uh, are beginning to get data from us that can go back 10 years for validations, and you know it's it's something that's the market's going to face, whichever either with the newer FICO models or with us. But that's a very fair question on prepayment modeling. So and so the analysis needs to be done. It needs to be done, and we're working with some of them to do that. Have you have you part of the notion behind greater inclusion would would probably lead to a higher default? You you would think simply because ratios are ratios, but it, it sounds like that's not necessarily the case. It, it's inclusion no. without increased delinquency or default, and that and that's right, correct? Well, yeah, I mean uh, uh, it goes to accuracy of the model. So <clears throat> last year. Uh, so Oliver Wyman just finished their, their annual report on us, and um, so last year, uh, 2,500 users use us, and 2,200 financial institutions, including, uh, oh, uh, let's see, nine of the largest banks use us, and 29 of the largest credit unions use us. So they wouldn't they wouldn't convert to a model that would give them, you know, more defaults or higher rate of default. I guess I should say. They just wouldn't do it. It wouldn't make sense to broaden their uh, reach, and yet 
uh, blow up their P&Ls. So I, I would say that that's a, that's a um, you know, rationale for saying it. with an accurate model, uh, you could score more people w- without reducing standards. And, Perfect. Uh, well, where were you when we had the push on CRA? You could have really helped <laughs> make some decisions. Yeah, well, yeah, good. and I think uh, I'm glad you raised that. So I think we're a uh, we can help solve the CRA issue uh, by scoring more people again more accurately. Exactly. You know, no lender is going to no lender is going to embed a, a model that is less accurate. Uh, so, right. Uh, At least they don't. They would do it on purpose. Awesome. Thanks, Barrett. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. Great. 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 Great information. Alan, what questions do you have for our guest? Yes, sir. So uh, great to have you on the uh, podcast, Barrett. What probably is ringing with a lot of people is sounds good. I know I can use it, and or my partners use it in you know predictive or credit risk profile modeling. But how do I start leveraging it or use it, or how would I integrate with it? So maybe you could update our audience on the timeline of more adoption into Vantage Score and how does it best integrate or what's needed to integrate it? You know more broadly across our, our industry? Well, uh, so uh, our business model is that we uh, license license the models to the bureaus, and they sell them. They compete with each other to sell uh, into the marketplace. So, so it starts with the bureau. We don't sell anything. Uh, we just develop models and promote the brand. And so so it takes a while to get uh, you know known in the marketplace and be tested. So we I started the company in 2006 and really not until 2013 did it take off and as as I noted uh, last year we had 12.3 billion scores used but none in the mortgage space because of the uh, exclusion uh from Fannie and Freddie and FHFA until recently uh so I think it takes time it's a long sales cycle um we understand that um it requires a lot of testing and it should so I think it's uh, you know a step by step kind of thing, and uh, a lot of lenders you know on the lending side, you know want to see what somebody else if somebody else is going to go first and then see how how it works and that's exactly what's been happening on the on the investor side. I think it just takes time. You know the rating agencies uh, we know them all well. They all have told us that there's no enhancement or no penalty for using Vending Score in a uh, in a securitization. They know us well. They've tested us so that's step one into the security side and i think investors it is going to it'll take time for investors to you know become familiar with it a, a lot of large ones do use us for buy seller hold decisions in their loan level data analysis but that means you've got to have a pretty big staff and some phds and know how to use the data but i my guess is that'll trickle down to the you know the smaller investors. I think they. I think we put a paper out a couple of years ago on the fallacy of using credit scores for analysis in MBS or any security really. And you might think that's odd that a credit score developer would take that point of view. But we we use two hypothetical cases uh, portfolios. You having the same average score, and one had double the default rate of the other one because of the tails. So our our message to the investor community is, boy, don't use an average credit score for your analysis, because and don't use the don't use score at origination either, because you know risk with a score changes over time. 
but there really should be loan-level data, which is available now, to analyze the underlying uh, collateral and borrower underneath the security. All that takes time. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, briefly touch on the Oliver Wyman uh, study, if you could get into that, and then I want to go one last place real quickly. But Yeah, so we, uh, you know, for, for the first few years, everybody, or people would ask us, well, yeah, but how much adoptions, well, uh, you know, who uses you and how much adoption? And uh, since FICO had sued us for, just shut us down early, uh, just after we started the company uh, for antitrust, we don't get involved in the sales side because it could be the it could be uh, either collusion or the appearance of collusion between the three companies. So we uh, engage uh, Oliver Wyman to uh, survey the three bureaus on how many scores you use and by how many organizations. So you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, 12.3 billion. That was this last year, and that's up 20% from the year before that. And the, the four-year uh, average growth rate's been 20%. So we're happy about that. Interesting, the day after our press release came out, National Mortgage News picked up some data that shocked us. The CEO of FICO, uh, the FICO had been adamant about never releasing their scoring numbers. But at their July earnings call, a very enterprising equity analyst backed the CEO into the number. And he revealed that their last year's numbers were $14.5 billion. So we've been adding about $2 billion a year uh, since uh, 13. If that rate continues, you know, we may be catching them in a year and a half. But they, he also said that their peak usage was $13.5 billion in 2007. That means they've only added a billion since 2007, and uh, that shocked very us. Very interesting. Yeah. And we noticed yeah. in the last, since then, in their boilerplate in their press releases, they claimed a 90% market share. They've dropped that phrase in their press releases. I, I don't know if it's still on the website or not, because we don't track of that carefully. But So we're catching up to them faster than we thought, only because well, this equity analyst got it out of, got it out of them. That's amazing. I thought I, I, that's what really prompted all the phone calls from the investment bankers that were calling oh. you know, subject matter experts like myself was to say, hey, we're noticing that, and their data includes the mortgage score, and your data does not. So yeah, if we right. were to add the mortgage score back into Vantage Score, in fact, if Vantage Score could be doing mortgage business, I mean, it's kind of like a no contest type thing. You guys have really done a heck of a job of taking out a potential competitor. I don't know if taking out is the right word, but where's the tipping point? When will this actually shift? Collabora is open. There's more discussion, more attention on it. And this data, latest data, certainly has got the investment bankers' attention. Yeah, and a lot of uh, independent mortgage bankers have really understand what we do. Union Home, for example, uh, we know each other really well. They they get what we do. And, uh, you know, for a, for a mortgage banker, they can see where they could uh, – you know, have more potential applicants, uh, again, without lowering <laughs> yep. pricing or uh, or credit standards. Yeah, when you can add 10 million new homeowners to um, to the your uh, to the ranks of homeownership here in America, that's that's good all the way around. And whatever piece of it you can get lenders, you would do well. So, Vantage Score, where can they learn more? How can we get access to the reports? You've been very good to share those with me. I love that stuff. I'm writing on it more and more in, in publications, but uh, how can others get a hold of this stuff, this information? Well, the, uh, the Oliver Wyman reports on our website, it goes into a lot of detail. And I think the National Mortgage News should be on there as well. Good. We put all Good. that stuff on the website. 
but you also published a lot of reports and general information about what's going on. For those that are interested in studying credit trends, you have some of that available information available as well. Yeah, all of us in our company, all former lenders. Uh, so we've sat in, this, in these seats before, you know, on the buy side of scoring, and we've been in front of regulators, and we've been, you know, um, uh, in front of risk committees as careers. And uh, it's on purpose that all of us, even our, you know, our PhDs, all come from companies like, you know, uh, GE Capital or the former GE Capital, and you know, uh, Fifth Third and other companies. Yeah. That, we, we went. We went the lender experience inside our company uh, to understand what they need uh, from a risk management standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, and a, and a marketing standpoint. So that's why we published a lot well, of that research. Very good, folks. Thank you. I mean, Barrett, thank you so much. Very excited about the progress you're making. I think it's really interesting where you're at, folks. We've had as our guest Barrett Burns, President and CEO of Vantage Score Solutions. Check out the website. And it is VantageScoreSolutions.com. Is that correct? Correct, yep. Very good. Barrett, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. Folks, next week we've got Tony Moss joining Ted Tozier, the past president of J.D. May, joining us. He will be, be The two executives are going to be talking about where they see the housing market, what they see going on. They've got the Mayor Catalyst event that will be coming up in Dallas February 10th and through the 12th uh, next year. And the theme of the 2020 conference is Entropy, Surviving in the New Abnormal. Seems like Tony and Ted have... Uh, talked a lot about this in the past. They're predicting that almost 40% of the current lenders will not survive in the next five years. Tune in next week to learn how you can be one of the survivors. Listen to these two industry veterans. Appreciate them coming on. So don't miss next week. I want to say again a special thank you to our sponsors, Black Knight Open Mortgage Finastra, the MBA, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, the CMLA, as well as Velma, Knowledge Group, Vidyard Assist, and more vendors coming on. Want to become a, a sponsor? Check them out on our website. Check out the information. we got all of it up there. Or get a hold of Paul, whose contact information is on our website as well. Have a great week, everyone, and tell others about this podcast. That's how we've grown to such a large listening audience. And we thank you for it. Have a great week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.